Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Well, I know that uh, it's very difficult when a day like today happens, you know, days like uh, Memorial Day, days like any time... You're trying to pay tribute to something tragic that happens. And the first thing that we do is we go back in time to where we were, what we were doing, and what we were thinking on this day 22 years ago, 9-11-2001. And I must admit that I was on my way out of uh, this, this particular um, market and this particular radio station, having uh, gotten a job in another state doing something similar, but what I thought of as my last chance to do uh, something a little more intense than talk radio. And as it turned out, I was in the gym. I had packed all of my belongings in a truck, and I was at the gym getting ready to come up for the last week's worth of shifts on 850W. At the time, it was not called WFTL. I think it was called WJNA. And I'm on a treadmill looking up at a television set, and I see a plane fly into the building, the World Trade Center. And I immediately called into the station And all I heard was, get here right now. And I literally got in my car and drove up there all the time listening to the station. And at the time, the then program director, Jack, was on the air with the then, I think it was the afternoon drive host came in, Jack Cole, the late, great Jack Cole, And Tony Marino, who you often hear doing weather, traffic, all kinds of things. But at the time, he was a news guy on the station. And the three of them were trying to explain what was happening. By now, a second plane had flown into the building. They were trying to describe the horror that they were watching uh, unfold on television and I remember driving and thinking that as there was no way this was an accident. And my mind was just absolutely spinning. And then I hear about another plane flying into the Pentagon. So now it's quite clear that this is not an accident. And of course, at the time, I did not know about a fourth plane which the brave passengers brought down in a field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. But I remember as I got, when I got to the station, 
I remember running through the door into the studio. And I remember just, it was like something, there was like a great release in me. And the tears just started streaming down my face because I could not imagine this kind of horror. And now I got to see more of the footage while I'm standing in the studio. And I clearly remember that nobody had any real idea of who had done this. And my colleague, Jack Cole, the inspector general, who was just a brilliant man with a tremendous amount of connections, said off the air, not into the microphone, off the air, he said, it's Osama bin Laden. And I, you know, I pride myself in being pretty savvy about what the news is, but I have to be clear. I really wasn't sure what he was talking about. And I did not know what Osama bin Laden and Al Qaeda were, because I just didn't study war the way he did. And so I immediately jumped into the mix and we began doing rotations. So it would be um, Jack and, and the other Jack, and then it would be Jack and Tony, and then it would be me and Tony, and then it would be me and Jack. And it was like, we just kept cycling through and it seemed like forever. I believe it was actually uh, 72 hours that we stayed round the clock in the studio trying to make sense of what we were seeing on the television set and what we knew our listeners were also looking at. And it was probably the most intense day in my radio career. And I've had some intense days, let me tell you. I, I often say I have been on the air during some of the most incredibly catastrophic events and for some of the greatest moments. And none of it compares to that day and to the understanding that, you know, that's my hometown. Whether I like it or not, that's my hometown. And at the time, we were doing a lot of uh, financial shows. And at the time, a lot of the people that I was talking to on a regular basis, because basically I was like the man on the street interviewing all these uh, geniuses, financial whiz kids and stuff, uh, people who ran hedge funds and people who ran large investment groups. And many of them were located inside the World Trade Center. So I really was just uh, devastated and you know, trying to get contacts on my cell phone to people I know who were there. And I'm on the air in the first day and I suddenly remember that my brother had a job interview in the World Trade Center and I wasn't sure if it was on the 11th or on the 12th, uh, but I knew it was somewhere in the vicinity. So now I'm frantically trying to reach him. I'm frantically trying to reach people who were in the, um, in the building, who I knew had offices in the building. And it was just, it was nightmarish, it really was. I, I, I can only say that I lived for the next probably week and a half in a complete state of disbelief, just disbelief. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. My grandchildren, all of my grandchildren, with the exception of one, weren't alive 
when this happened. And I don't know what they're being told about 9-11, but I'm sure it's distorted. And it's going to be up to me and my children to really talk about what that was like and living through it, what it was like, and remembering the enormous sacrifices that were made in the, in the days, weeks, months, years to follow. And I have a couple of pieces that other people have written that I'm going to share today because when somebody does a great job, you don't have to pretend that you could do as good a job, right? Because I'm not a writer. I fail miserably when I try to write because I'm, I'm someone who speaks. And when you write, you know, things have periods and commas and, and you just don't get to tell a story in, in the same fashion. Or I'm not a poet, but I know poets. And some of them, their work has come forward in the last, you know, 48 to 72 hours. I've been receiving a lot of versions of people's remembrances of 9-11. And I certainly know some people who were very much uh, on the scene at the time. I particularly know a man who was a big uh, chief at the fire department in New York, and he had just retired, like the week before. And of course, there was no such thing as you're now retired on that day. And everybody went racing down there. And my, my friend, you know, uh, Peter, he spent the next series of weeks going to funerals and visiting hospital beds. And it didn't end then because all those firefighters and police officers who were inhaling whatever toxic fumes there were from the airplanes and the buildings have suffered uh, since then. So, like I said, I was close enough to be traumatized, but not as close as some. And I need to remember all those lives, all those people who lost their lives that day and all those who have lost their lives since that day because they were there trying to rescue as many people as possible. I know we're all haunted by the images that they cut off after that first day of people leaping out of windows. I mean, that will stay with me forever. I know that there are uh, many of us who will never forget the signs that were posted afterwards of family members that were lost. You know, uh, have you seen this person? People who stood at hospitals anxiously trying to figure out if their loved one had made it out and was now in the hospital. And then, of course, the gradual recognition that people who were in that building didn't really make it out. I think there was a total of 22 people in the World Trade Center that made it out. And certainly no one on those airplanes survived. And it was a trauma that the nation looked like it would never get over. And yet my fear is we have gotten over it. And my fear is that if you don't know your history and our children and grandchildren don't know this part of their history, you may be doomed to repeat it. So I want to talk, about, I want to share with you some things that people have shared with me. And I also 
um, want to remind you that this is not a, you know, somebody asked me, should this be a national holiday? And, you know, if we are proper in our tributes on this day, if we do what you just heard Dan Bongino do and what I hope to do in the next hour, if we commemorate this day with dignity and with intensity, I don't need anybody to make it a holiday so that people make it into a three-day weekend. And before you know it, it's nothing more than barbecues. No, that's not what we need. What we need is a collective memory. And who's responsible for that? We are. I am. And I take that very seriously. Don't forget that you can download the 850 app. And that way you can hear today's show. Or if you miss any part of it, you'll be able to go back and play it or tell a friend to listen, whatever as well as the No Restraint podcast, which will also drop within the next 24 hours. And it's uh, pretty interesting. I, I talk about uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, who, of course, ha had some victory in the courtroom. He didn't personally, but we all did. And I talk about that, as well as some other interesting subjects in the No Restraint podcast. But for now, please uh, stay right where you are. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. So it's uh, really interesting to me how some people are tireless when it comes to raising money for veterans and for making sure that young people learn their history. And one of those people is Kathy Pagano. She uh, was a teacher for years, a history and sociology teacher. And she played a very big part in uh, New Jersey and Wayne and Passaic County and her Woodland Park community, focusing on teaching young people about this country. And so she was recently honored with the Wreaths Across America Teach Award during the 10th annual uh, Stem to Stone event. And this is an award that recognizes people who have made really important, significant contributions to teaching the younger generation about honoring and remembering people who serve in the military. And she literally, Kathy Pagano, dedicated her life to educating children in positive, in having pride in America and teaching the importance of respecting and honoring the veterans. And that's why, of course, Wreaths Across America, which puts wreaths on the gravestones of the military, it was why she got involved and set together a, a program where she sponsors, I think her community sponsors like a thousand wreaths uh, honoring the thousands of veterans that are buried in the Holy Sepulcher Cemetery. And she wants to make the program even bigger. She's just special. And she wrote a piece that I'm going to share with you called The America I Remember. She says, the time has passed so quickly as I reflect on 22 years ago, September 11th, 2001, Vivid memories of the day flash back into my mind. The visual images of each of the attacks shown in the media, the horror, the pain of the loss of so many lives, 
the grief, all seemed like yesterday. Yet from the smoldering ashes came the strength, resilience, and courage of so many. The incredible sense of unity throughout the country was experienced by those living at the time. America became one people, one family, one in harmony to offer help, support, and even time just to be together. For those of us who lived through that sad time, we have touching memories of towns coming together for candlelight ceremonies and vigils, American flags flying, collections of assorted items and money to help all those families in need. American patriotism and pride for the nation were everywhere. We watched as locations requested a piece of the WTC rubble to be displayed in so many towns as a sign of remembrance or to be included in memorials built worldwide. That incredible sense of unity and camaraderie has remained in so many of our minds till today. So what happened? Where did it all go? The division and disunity that prevails today brings us further away from the America I remember on September 12, 2001. Why? What changed? Have we forgotten that we live in the greatest country in the world? If one puts their mind to work and pursues their dreams, there is nothing anyone cannot achieve here. Are the memories of those who lost their lives that day and all those since due to illnesses from working in those areas, is it forgotten? A faded memory? Why? This is not the America I remember. So Kathy Pagano says, make this year different. Let's pledge that come tomorrow, we will dedicate ourselves to bringing unity back into our nation and it must begin with each one of us. It requires us to focus on the greater good for all, not just ourselves, to be proud of our nation and demonstrate a love of our country, to be committed to unifying America by remembering all those lives lost on September 11th and throughout our history. May the memories of their lives live on through us, and by doing so, we will grow closer to the America I remember. Those are the words of Kathy Pagano. And I have to tell you that from my own perspective, I would love for there to be harmony in this country. I would love for us to have an honest debate about what's the best direction to go in. I am so tired of feeling as though I have to explain myself for supporting a particular candidate. This is a country where we've had very raucous debates in the past over who would be a better president, over what would be a better makeup in Congress, over what the Supreme Court should and shouldn't be doing. But that's disappeared somehow. And instead, there's nothing but rancor and there's nothing but targeting political opponents. And that is not honoring the lives of the people who perished on 9-11. Not to mention the fact that we seem to have forgotten that that enemy, 
that enemy that attacked us on that day is in the process of, process of reconstituting itself. What's going on in the Middle East is a total reawakening of Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and other terrorist groups who are hell-bent on destroying Western civilization. And the great Satan, you know, I know the little Satan is Israel, and we hear the news about the attacks against them, but the great Satan is America. And the same enemies that existed in the 1990s and in the year 2000 and 2001, those enemies are reconstituting in places like Afghanistan, right now, in Syria, in Lebanon, there are terrorist groups who are still awaiting a time when they can resurrect the caliphate and eliminate the infidels. And if you don't know that or you don't believe that, then we really are in serious trouble because it's true and it should not be on the back burner. Not anymore. So if you want to honor those lives, and I do, then we need to remember who did it and not believe the words of Ilhan Omar. It was just a little something that some people did. No, no, it was not a little something that some people did. It was an attack against Western civilization and the great Satan, us. And when we forget that, well, then guess what? We may lose this country. And as many historians and past presidents have said, this country is not going to fall because we get attacked by China. I'm, look, I think China needs to be dealt with. I think Russia needs to be dealt with. I, I believe that we have a place in dealing with our enemies. But I'm more afraid of how we're going to collapse from within. That's my biggest fear. That we have literally become a police state and that we have a governor in New Mexico who just told people that it is against the law in New Mexico for them to be armed. What, what's going on? This is some scary times. Anyway, let me uh, take a quick break. When we come back, I want to share my friend Peter Hoffman, who is a brilliant, creative guy, um, just has been involved all his life in writing and has written some of the most memorable commercials that you've ever known. I have to go through a list of them. But Peter wrote a piece on 9-11, and I want to share that with you after this break. Uh, stay right where you are. I'll be right back. So I, I really didn't want to get uh, political today, uh, in particular because, you know, I, I don't think anybody questioned um, what the party affiliation was of any of those people on those planes or in those buildings or in the Pentagon or in, you know, crashed into the field. Um, and you would hope that this is a day when there's some unity, like Kathy Pagano said. But already, you know, the president was the first president not to go to ground zero for the ceremonies today. He didn't even hold a memorial service at the White House, which is what President George W. Bush did. Even Barack Obama did that. And there's a man who made no small, uh, you know, mystery of his basic uh, uh, affinity for the people who 
do things like crash airplanes into buildings. So the ceremonies that did take place today at the three crash sites in Manhattan, in D.C., and in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, our president was in Alaska. Yeah, right. He, he couldn't arrange a schedule to make it back for a 9-11 ceremony instead of doing a flyby on the remotest part of U.S. soil? It may have been 22 years, but there's not a single person in New York who doesn't remember. This is crazy. This is like if somebody, if nobody paid tribute on, you know, in December for Pearl Harbor, which by the way, that has happened, was taken off the calendar at Publix. But, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just beyond my understanding why this guy would send Vice President Harris to substitute for him at the ceremony in Manhattan. Here's a person who can't, you know, can't even, this last weekend, she had a hip hop event at the vice president's residence, okay? 2,977 people died. It's an anniversary of a horrific incident. You know, a first lady went over to lay a wreath at the Pentagon Memorial. Doug Emhoff, who's the, whatever they call him, the second gentleman, he's going to Shanksville, Pennsylvania. The Defense Secretary, Lloyd Austin, who, by the way, was commander of the U.S. Central Command, responsible for all U.S. military operations in Afghanistan, so he understands what happened and what had to be done afterwards. He's going to have like an observance ceremony, you know. And the president is in Alaska. Uh, he's the first. Mayors Rudy Giuliani and Mike Bloomberg showed up for the ceremony, in spite of the fact that Rudy Giuliani is all the, involved in a witch hunt against him by the left. But he was the city's mayor. And by the way, people called him the mayor of America at the time. I mean, even mayor, uh, former creepy mayor Bill de Blasio showed up and I just believe me I, I just I get so angry you know thinking about how disrespectful that is you know Joe Biden was sitting in the Senate at the time and and then he, after that he became the vice president so he knows how even Barack Obama how seriously he took it and he just couldn't make time to go there he sent the word salad queen, the princess of uh, hip-hop. Ugh. Anyway, and that's, that's as political as I'm going to get. Let me share with you my friend Peter Hoffman, who is the CEO and executive creative director of the Peter Hoffman Communications Group, what he wrote. This is beautiful. It's not beautiful. It's sad. And it's beautiful. It's not the giant, looming, skeletal centuries of twisted steel like grotesque monuments above a smoking graveyard that one recalls most on that day. It's not the landscape of rubble and detritus that resemble the remainders of bombed-out cities of World War II. It's not the surreal nightmare of a Belsinski-like painting, one that was suddenly placed within nor the CGI of a dystopian futuristic film or otherworldly video game into which one was thrust, nor is it the haunted eyes in the stunned, perplexed glaze of passing faces milling about 
at once attempting to somehow absorb in small part what had occurred not even 20, 48 hours ago, while paradoxically trying not to. It's not the ocular nor the oral. It's the olfactory, the scent of the horrific. For all the countless evocative, heart-rending and worthy documentaries, films, articles, books, oral histories, commentaries, the eyewitness stories passed down from one generation to the next, the recounting of that day shared amongst family and friends, the works of literature and art and all manner and means of retrospectives about 9-11 and its aftermath, the one thing can never be adequately communicated was the unimaginable aroma and texture of the air around Ground Zero at that time. It was like, unlike anything I nor anyone else I suspect down in lower Manhattan in those dark days ever have breathed before or ever wished to breathe again. It was the smell of history, which if you kindly bear with me, I will attempt to describe to you. Like the billions of others throughout the world, I watched the televised events of that day exactly 20 years ago unfold, 22 years ago unfold. Like all of us, I was transfixed horrified, mesmerized, astonished. I was living about 40 miles north of Manhattan, and it would have likely been when the first plane hit, either in the office or traveling to it at one ad agency or another, had I not started my new and still fledgling agency a couple of years before and set up shop in the area with the goal, at least in part, to finally avoid the hour and a half commute each way into and out of the city each day that had become the routine. By the late afternoon in the state of stunned disbelief we all felt that day and needing to take a bit of a breather, I laced up my running shoes and ventured outside. In contrast to the hellish darkness of the events just southward, the late summer day was luminous and warm with brilliant sun and ethereal, cloudless blue skies. I walked up the steep hill to the country road that overlooked the Hudson, the great river sparkling in the light. In the coming days, and an ironic contradiction to the beauty and grace of the river, the early investigation revealed that the terrorist pilots who took over the American Airlines Flight 11 from Boston's Logan Airport used the river as a navigational ribbon to visually guide them into Manhattan and ultimately over it, all the way down to the North Tower of the World Trade Center. About 15 minutes into my run on the quiet, winding road lined with oaks and maples with their green summer leaves still thick with abundance, I was consumed with the labyrinth of emotion and thoughts of all that had just occurred on this fateful day. I recall passing a house with a car in front of it. It was unusual. In fact, I rarely saw any cars parked on the road. They were most often in driveways or in the garage or hidden in the back. As I slowed down, I saw in the front window on the driver's side a sign laid flat. It said clergy. And I immediately wondered if someone who lived in that house had been working in the Twin Towers that day or otherwise in lower Manhattan, unaccounted for. This is, he, he went back to his house. This is my friend Peter Hoffman. Showered, drove to the local supermarket, and that was when it hit me that everything had changed. Where once, meaning as recently as that Monday, the day before, we all shopped for our groceries methodically, hastily, and routinely without any or at least much acknowledgement of our fellow travelers on this planet as we examined the apples in the bin and checked out the ingredients of the cereal boxes, today we knew the world was transformed. 
The mood was solemn, somber, heavy with great gravity. We made eye contact with those who passed us in the aisles, nodding in an acknowledgement of solidarity, communal understanding and cohesion that I couldn't recall ever seeing before. Often with a brief knowing headshake and even the exchange of a small serious smile, if that's not oxymoronic, and it isn't, that we're all in this together. One could hear those who had shopped in the store for years but never said a word to one another asking, are you doing okay? How are you holding up? One could see tight, drawn faces. Some seemed lost to the overwhelming events of that day. Most were holding the intensity of their feelings more or less in check. But one could also see red eyes within the hollows of those faces. Some had wet eyes. Others suddenly and gently stopped to weep. One or two bent in a kind of bow overcome, releasing what they perhaps suppressed throughout the day, the physical reaction to the gut punch America just took. That evening and into the next day, Wednesday, still affixed to the coverage on television, I started to feel, as I'm sure many did, the need to do something, anything, to help, a channel to direct my energies and anger and despair and outrage and trepidation of all that occurred and what might still come in the coming days and months. So much was unknown, everything up in the air, the city and the country dealing with the exigencies of the immediate aftermath. Downtown Manhattan was a danger zone. The mayor's office and police and fire officials warning people to stay away so the necessary work of rescue and recovery could be accomplished. In fact, firefighters who survived the attack and all that came after, along with cops and detectives and many others from various departments in and around the, the city, were already working what became known as the pile to dig for their brethren and any other civilians who might still be alive and buried in the rubble in an act of faith, subsuming the terrible reality of what they and we all knew but what didn't want to believe and come to terms with. Thousands of volunteers from across the country with commercial airplanes still grounded were already in their cars and trucks making their way to New York to assist in any way they could. We've all heard about the Cajun Navy doing rescues in the aftermath of hurricanes and disasters. This was, in effect, a ground zero army. Let me take a break. Don't forget, coming up after me is Eric Erickson and then uh, all the evening hosts. And tomorrow morning, Jen and Bill will be back with the South Florida Morning Show. I want to continue to share with you this uh, piece that was written by my friend um, Peter Hoffman. So don't touch that dial. I'll be right back. All right. And uh, I just wanted to also mention that today, uh, former New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson has passed, and he was the old school kind of Democrat, definitely a liberal Democrat, but uh, he would have never, he never went along with this kind of radical socialist brand of Democrats that has grabbed power. He was a diplomat who won the release of a lot of prisoners from our enemies, and he was a, you know, he, he was a moderate, and he wouldn't survive in today's party. But back to what my friend uh, Peter Hoffman wrote about that day. He talked about how he went there. Now, I also went after 9-11 to the uh, Pentagon as well as to Ground Zero. And I also remember that, you know, you know I'm, I'm a kid from New York, and there's pollution, and we're used to pollution. But when you entered uh, into this airspace of ground zero 
following 9-11, the air was just horrific. First of all, you could see ash everywhere and just these like strange smells. He describes it in his piece, Peter does, as the air wasn't even air in the familiar sense, but a dense, thickened miasma of white and dark ash particulate that was somewhere between a heavy, vaporous gas and toxic stew of not quite emulsified matter, an alchemized suspension of floating soot made up of granular concrete, steel, glass, resins, asbestos, benzenes, hydrocarbons, carcinogenic chemicals of a variety of sorts, pulverized electronics, fuel, and alas, that which we never wish to think about. People. People. And in those days, we had this camaraderie or this unity that I remember it was palpable. There were people everywhere when I got to Ground Zero. There, of course, were first responders. There were crews from electric uh, companies from all across the country. There were firefighters from all over the country. There were food trucks and there were, uh, you know, preachers and pastors and, and rigs of every kind. And every single person was important. And every single person, Peter described thanking every cop, firefighter, every rescue, recovery worker that you passed, every one of them was a hero. And when you finally got to the, the this massive, as he described, the massive burial ground where the buildings fell, there was a crowd of people a few rows deep at the fence just peering through its latticework the colossal remains of mangled steel that somehow remained leaning and stuck in the enormous pit looked like a madman's demented sculpture garden, and the pit was still smoking. Still smoking. So, you know, we can't forget. We can't, you know, and we can't forget the people who declared the air was safe to breathe and the water safe to drink. That was a disastrous decision that Christine Todd Whitman made. And she's, you know, she said many times she was working with what she had at the time. 29,000 people who worked that pile during that time, not to mention those who lived and worked in the area. These people are dying of cancers and nobody remembers them either. So I'm not going to forget, and you should not forget, and the least we could do is, you know, sort of share the stories of that day and hope that the younger generations gets a sense of just how precious life is and how in just the blink of an eye, almost 3,000 people were just wiped off the face of the earth and literally just disappeared. So I thank you for your time this time until next time. My plan is to be back here tomorrow at three o'clock, if it be his will and he delays his coming, what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are important things to think about. So I ask that you all, I'll, I'll see many of you tonight at Club 47, but I ask that uh, God bless you and God bless the United States of America. Stay vigilant. I'll be right. I'll be back tomorrow.
The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.